0: Hi, I'm Rabbi Yisro and welcome to my daily Torah Thought. I know that you're probably preparing for uh, the new year today, so you'll have a little extra time to uh, listen to an extra special daily Torah Thought. Today I want to talk about names. In the Torah, every name has a meaning, and most have a story. A Jewish name has a tremendous impact on the past, the present, and the future. A name might perpetuate an incident from the past. For example, the name Moses, which means he was drawn, reminds us of Moses' miraculous childhood, when the selfless princess drew him out of the water. Our Jewish name also offers insight into the here and now. It tells us something about the nature of our soul. It helps us shape the expression of our soul. When someone is ill, God forbid, we often add a name that means life or blessing, like Chaim, Chaya, Baruch, or Bracha, to infuse the soul with an added vitality. It's interesting that sometimes a name actually helps shape the future. The Talmud gives us an example of a sage who avoided being robbed because the name of a man he met warned him that this man could be a thief. As a matter of fact, the very story of the survival of Jewish identity in an assimilated world was largely contingent on the fact that our ancestors maintained Jewish names. Twice in telling the story of the original journey into exile into Egypt, the Torah makes a point to list the Jewish names of the people who entered Today I want to share a story with you about one of the strangest names in Jewish history. I want to tell you the story of Rabbi Shmuel Satan. That's right, his name was Satan. A strange name, right? What Jew would have the name Satan? But Rabbi Shmuel, who was the president of the Jewish community of Prague in the 14th century, he had this name, and he bore it proudly and gratefully. And here's the story. In those days the Jews of Prague suffered tremendous amounts of persecution in the hands of their Christian neighbors. The church leaders, the priests, they were especially hostile to the Jews, and not infrequently were the mobs incited to attack the Jewish ghetto. Under the reign of King Wenceslas IV, the position of the Jews was terrible. The king took no interest in the affairs of the state, but liked to have a good time, which for him meant eating and drinking and hunting and spending the royal treasury on extravagant luxuries. His ministers, who were entrusted with the affairs of the state, were unfriendly to the Jews and were only interested in squeezing out from them the greatest possible amount of money by means of various taxes. In the year 5149 on the Jewish calendar, which is 1389, was a particularly tragic one for the Jews of Prague. During the Christian Easter festival, the procession moved through the old town where the Jewish ghetto was, to the Moldau River. It was a religious procession, carrying crosses and images. The rumor spread quickly that the Jewish children threw stones at the crosses and images. In a wave of fury, whipped up by the priests and frenzied mob attacks in the Jewish quarter, they mercilessly killed the defenseless Jews and burned their homes. About three thousand Jews, men, women, and children, were massacred in cold blood, and much of the Jewish quarter went up in flames. The rabbi, who was also an outstanding scholar of Kabbalah, his name was Rabbi Avigdor Karo. He composed an elegy to commemorate the tragedy. It begins with the words "Eskel Hatola." and it was incorporated into the prayers of the Selichot. Despite the greatest loss of life and property which the Jews suffered from this cruel attack, a heavy fine of 10,000 pounds of silver was imposed on the Jews of Prague. The year 5151, which is 1391, two years after the devastating riots and the 10,000-pound silver tax, it was the year which also brought The terrible persecutions for the Jews of Spain and the Jews of Prague were again faced with a staggering blow to their very existence. They had not yet recovered from the previous calamity when a further heavy tax was imposed on the Jewish community, the sum of 20,000 silver. The president of the Jewish community was informed that the money must be paid to the city treasury within eight days. Otherwise, all the Jews would be expelled from Prague and their property would be taken to cover the tax. The president of the community was a prominent Jewish merchant whose name was Reb Shmuel. He was a very highly respected man for his learning, for his piety, for his good deeds. His business affairs brought him in contact with the nobility and he was able to obtain favors from the people of power. Because of this, he was known as the Stadlan the intercessor. Rabbi Shmuel was deeply shocked by the new demand, so he went to the rabbi to consult with him. The rabbi then summoned the seven community leaders. After much deliberation, it was decided that there was nothing else they could do except to send a delegate to plead with the king for mercy. This was no simple matter. It was not easy to get an audience with the king. It might have been very dangerous for the person, if an audience were even obtained. But who among the king's ministers would want to risk his own position to persuade the king to receive the Jewish delegate? At this point, Rav rose and he said, Esteemed rabbis and colleagues, I am prepared to go to the king. The others were surprised. This is very noble of you. But what are your chances of getting to see the king? I will tell you something which I had not intended to tell anyone. Because it was no concern to anyone. But now it's different. This may be the case where, as our sages say, the merciful one provides the cure before the malady strikes. This is what happened. Several years ago, I was driving in my coach on one of my business trips. I turned off the road into the woods to daven the afternoon prayer, Mincha. At a brook nearby, I washed my hands and I prayed. After concluding my prayers, I decided to take a stroll to admire the beauty of God's nature, which was in its spring bloom. I was in no hurry, and I wanted to give my horse a chance to rest, to nibble at the fresh green grass. Returning to my coach along a beautiful trail in the woods, my eyes caught a handsome leather pouch lying there before me. I picked it up and I opened it. It was crammed with gold pieces and precious gems and documents which bore the royal seal. It was clear that the pouch belonged to a high-ranking royal person, if not the king himself. Examining the sealed documents further, I discovered the name of the king's treasurer on one of the envelopes. I lost no time in making my way to the castle of the king's treasurer, informing the guard at the gate that I had an important business with the treasurer. I was not kept waiting long. When I was admitted to the treasurer's study, I could see at once that the treasurer was in a state of mental distress. I produced the pouch and handed it to him. The man nearly jumped out of his skin. Quickly, he opened the pouch and examined its contents. Satisfied that nothing was missing, he embraced me and hugged me and thanked me profusely. Do you know what was in this pouch? he asked me. I had no choice but to look inside in order to identify the owner, I said. Upon my soul, he said, had it been found by one of ours, I would have never seen it again. Had a peasant found this pouch, he would have taken the gold and gems and buried the documents, and I should have to kill myself for shame. If you only knew what these documents meant to me. You see, I had to deliver these secret documents to a foreign ambassador, whom I had arranged to meet on a hunt only yesterday. And then... I discovered that I had lost the pouch. I shall be forever indebted to you. By the way, forgive me. I have forgotten to ask you your name in excitement. I told him my name, and he thanked me again and again. Finally, he said, My dear Shmuel, the money is all yours, as I have in any case despaired of ever getting it back. Besides, Money is of small consideration to me. It is the documents for which I have had to account to the king. You have truly saved my life and my honor. He took out the documents and offered me the pouch with the rest of its contents. I turned to him and said, God forbid that I should take any reward for a mitzvah. To return a lost article to its rightful owner is one of the rare Mitzvah is one of the rare precepts of our faith, which comes our way perhaps once in a lifetime, if ever at all. No good, sir. I cannot accept any reward. The mitzvah itself is my greatest reward. Hmm, what a strange people you are, the treasurer said to me unbelievingly. Is there any other way in which I can express my gratitude to you? I told him that there was no need for that. But should there ever be an occasion when he could do a favor to any Jew or to the Jewish community, that would be the time for him to express his gratitude to God. Now you see, my friends, I think that if I turn to the king's treasurer, he may arrange an audience with the king for me, and then the rest is up to God. The rabbi then rose and shook Reb Shmuel's hand. What you did, Reb Shmuel, was truly a kiddush Hashem a sanctification of God's name, and an honor for our people. Go then, with God's speed, and may you be successful in saving our community. I want to ask you one thing, Rabbi Shmuel said to the rabbi. And he asked that the rabbi proclaim a day of fasting and prayer for the entire community, and that the Almighty bless his mission with success. Certainly, certainly the rabbi said, I was going to do this in any case. So Reb Shmuel started out on his dangerous mission. He had no trouble in being received by the king's treasurer, who greeted him warmly and asked what he could do for him. When Reb Shmuel told him, his face fell. The treasurer told Reb Shmuel that the king had been in a very bad mood lately and that he had been drinking heavily so that he was more often drunk than sober. Even when sober, he said, the king could be dangerous. And if he should be drunk... Your life would not be worth a copper coin. The treasurer had a better idea. I will loan you the money, he said. I will make it a personal gift to you. Since you refused it last time, pay the tax and be done with it. This is very generous of you, Reb Shmuel answered. But I'm afraid this will be no solution. You see, today we pay this enormous tax, and tomorrow there'll be another heavier tax. My people are impoverished. We are being plundered constantly, and we are hated and persecuted. I want to plead with you that the king show us mercy, protect us from the mobs, and enable us to live in peace. Then we could do more for the king's treasury and for the country. I must get an audience with the king. The king's minister said not a word. He ordered his coach together with Reb Shmuel. They set out for the king's palace. Leaving Reb Shmuel, waiting in the hall, the minister went into the inner royal chambers. In due course, he returned with a sad expression on his face. He said, my dear friend, the king is in an ugly mood. He acceded to my request and agreed that you should appear before him. But here lies the trouble. He said, you can only say four words. And if you say as much as half a syllable more, you will forfeit your head. There is royal whim for you. There's nothing more that I could do. Believe me, I am deeply sorry. Four words, Rabbi Shmuel cried. There's a flood of words and pleas bursting from my heart. I want to pour out my heart to his majesty, to appeal to his royal grace and mercy. What can I say in four words? Rabbi Shmuel thought for a moment, and he said, I have no choice. I must see the king, even if it's to say four words. Then let's go, the minister said. And he led Reb Shmuel to the king. The massive golden doors of the royal chamber opened, and both were admitted. They bowed their heads respectfully. So this is the Jew, the king said, with a mocking smile on his face. Well then, speak your four words, not a sound more. Reb Shmuel stepped forward with dignity, and he said, "Va'yomer Hashem el haSatan." And then he bowed again, stepped back, and waited to be dismissed. What is it that you said, the king asked. Reb Shmuel pointed to his mouth to indicate that his lips were sealed by the king's order. Never mind that, the king said impatiently. I withdraw the condition; you may speak freely. The four words, your Majesty. Are from our holy book, the Torah. They are from the seventh verse of the first chapter of the book of Job. The meaning of these words is that when it pleases God, the supreme king of kings, he descends from his holy throne and speaks even to the lowliest of all creatures, to Satan. More than once did God speak to Satan, as the holy book tells us, and he gave Satan the opportunity to speak to him to his heart's content. I pray that the illustrious king of Bohemia will be gracious enough to permit a poor, unfortunate, persecuted Jew who is nevertheless one of his most loyal subjects to speak to his majesty and to pour out his heart before him. For a moment the king remained silent. His eyes blazed with anger and the impudence of a Jew. But the courage with which Reb Shmuel spoke his words and the way in which he caused the king to withdraw his condition won the king's admiration. The anger disappeared from his eyes and in a somewhat softer voice, he said to Reb Shmuel, Very well, I shall listen to you. Reb spoke feelingly but firmly. He told the king that his Jewish subjects are loyal to him and they pray for his health and his welfare of the country. He reminded the king of the great contribution the Jews have made to the development of the commerce and trade to the city of Prague and the high taxes that they were paying to the royal treasury. But now the community was completely impoverished, especially after the tragedy of two years previously. He pleaded for the king's mercy to spare the unfortunate Jewish community of Prague and to enable them to improve their economic position under the king's protection so they could continue to be useful citizens of the king and the country. King Wenceslaus listened attentively, and Rabbi Shmuel's words made a deep impression on him. He said, Go back and tell your people that the king has withdrawn the tax. And even more, freeze them from taxes for the next two years. However, I've yet to square a personal account with you. You deserve both a punishment and a reward a punishment for your impudence in telling off the king, and a reward for your courage and wisdom. As a reward, I appoint you my Kamerjud. You should be privileged to appear in my palace at any time. I might even ask your advice sometimes. But what shall be your punishment? Tell me, what's your name? Shmuel it is. From now on, you shall be known as Shmuel Satan, the king said with a gleam in his eye. Yes, This shall be your official title, Sir Shmuel Satan, a hereditary title for you and your children. And the king laughed merrily. And that, my friends, remains Rav Shmuel's name and Rav Shmuel's story. So as today is a day of reflection on the year past and the year to come, I ask you, what is your Jewish name? And what is your story? Are you named after a grandparent? What's their story? Do you have a biblical name? Do you know about the Biblical figure you're named after? Can you find hints of your soul and your psyche in your Jewish name? If you don't have one, let me know, we'll find one for you. We can find a befitting Jewish name for you. We can all find ways to use our Jewish name more often, to make our story more Jewish, a story of Exodus, and make our story a story of redemption. I'm Rabbi Yusra Bernath. This is my daily Torah thoughts. Have a fantastic day. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there.